1 Kings 21, 17 through 29. Beginning to read that at verse 17, hear now the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who uh, lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Also Ahab said to Elijah, Have you, have you found me? Uh, therefore Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut you off from Ahab, every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Debar, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocations with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. May the Lord bless this reading to our holy understanding. The title of it is called A Really Evil Guy. And we're talking about Ahab here, a really evil guy. Uh, evil is hardly ever confronted <clears throat> directly and obviously yeah, when it arises, because evil arises out of a context, out of an environment. And the environment of evil is evil, and so when an environment, when a, when a whole country or a whole environment of a country is contaminated and corrupted, it's very difficult for there to be found any source within that arena any source within that context for the evil to be challenged. And so it, it's hardly ever challenged. And it tends to go on and on and on and on, wearying the people of God uh, that it might be reversed. And so that was the situation in this day. And uh, <clears throat> Ahab, is, uh, Ahab is confronted at the very moment of his greatest evil where he worked out his polytheism and his lack of ethics, his confusion in terms of virtue. He worked that out in terms of stealing 
Naboth's vineyard. And so there he is in the midst of the vineyard when God commissions Elijah, who was a prophet of God, to go into there and to seize him by the words of his power and to condemn him and to prophesy over his head what would be the future of his family and his rule. And so that's what we find. Uh, a really evil guy uh, come into the justice and the condemnation of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> the day in which Ahab lived, and it compares very much with our own, the, uh, the House of Representatives even now is talking about <clears throat> um, accusing or bringing charges against uh, our Secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, uh, for, <clears throat> uh, for his dishonesty and for the fact that he's actually, he and the president are actually breaking the law by the way they're handling the border. And it's a, it's a horrible thing. It, and the things have gone so far that that uh, the president is now threatening Texas, who is simply trying to protect their land and protect their provisions and their safety. He's threatening them with federal force and federal power if they don't accede to his unlawful demands. He's, he, in the name of the law, which he does, in which he does not believe because he's breaking it every day in major, major ways, in the name of the law, he's trying to arrest those who are trying to follow the law. It's a, it's a wicked day. And the people of America have no idea, by and large, they have no idea of the degree of wickedness into which we find ourselves now. Uh, the, and even when they sometimes get... Um, Insights into this in terms of the civil sphere or the secular sphere, they haven't even begun to consider their evil in terms of the law of God and especially the first four laws of God, the worship of God that is due his name. So even when men stand up and say, I'm for good or I'm for righteousness, uh, they hardly ever reference themselves by the word of God and by the things that God holds dear, like worship like singing unto him the songs of Zion. And so <clears throat> we live in a day of, of great, great confusion. Um, one of the, I've shown you before some, sometimes that one of the things I use as bookmarks are these, uh, these bills from around the world. This one happens to be from the nation of Colombia. And on the, on the face here it says, um, Cien pesos oro. In other words, 100 pesos of gold. Now, a peso is a weight of measurement. And uh, most South American countries, the, measure, the weight is in silver because they, they, were not, uh, uh, they were not that wealthy to make base their currency in, in gold. And so they use uh, silver. And a peso, typically in, in South America, a peso of silver, this weight of gold, not this weight of the bill, but the weight of gold that they call the peso would be worth between a dollar and half a dollar. Um, but uh, Colombia... In, in its um, confidence and um, maybe braggadocio has made this bill 100 pesos oro of gold. Oro is substantially for gold. And so uh, there, this is, a, this is a hundred pound note supposedly in gold. Now, your pastor uses this for a bookmark. I can assure you it's not worth, it's not worth even a peso of silver or a half a peso of silver 
much less gold. It's uh, almost a worthless thing. But this, this is the kind of note that represents Western society. All of our currency has been debased. All of our currency, the, the politicians say it's worth one thing, and then they make, they, make, uh, they make laws that demand that we go into debt so that in order to pay the debt, they have to devalue the money so the money is worth only half or a quarter of what it was when they passed the original law so that they can pay it off in debased currency. You see, our whole civilization is a civilization, civilization of lies. And even the great men of our day are men who have gone along with this lie. And, and most of them refuse to call a truth the truth. And this was like it was in the days of Ahab. This is like it was when God laid his finger on Elijah and said, I want you to go and to arrest the wicked king Ahab with my word of power. So Ahab went, I mean, Elijah went and Elijah confronted Ahab. So the four the, the parts of the message, the four parts are confronted in the midst of his evil, confronted by God's clear condemnation, uh, confronted by a most authoritative emissary, and confronted by unqualified condemnation. And how you know, amazingly then, there was enough of a residue left in Ahab's soul from his youth, from, the, from his younger days in Israel. There's enough residue there. There was enough memory left that when, uh, when Elijah condemned him in these words, the Holy Spirit cut through Ahab's heart and, and brought him to a great sense of uh, repentance and sorrow over this, so that he laid in sackcloth for many days, uh, basically um, begging the Lord for some relief from the guilt that he felt upon himself. So it's an amazing story <clears throat> of one of the, if not the most wicked king in the history of Israel, and all of those events that were swirling around him from his youth and now to the, the end of his life. So the first thing we see here is that he was confronted in the midst of his evil. Very, very infrequently does God confront us in the midst of our evil, in the midst of, of an affair that we might be having that broke the bonds and the bands of our marriage. Very infrequently are people disturbed uh, as they are going for that drug or that alcohol uh, to which they are uh, bonded in slavery. Uh, the Lord usually lets them go. He lets them go with their affairs. He lets them go with their, their false loves. He lets them go with their false gods of uh, marijuana and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the other drugs by which men confuse their minds and their hearts. He lets them go in that and then, and then uh, uh, lets them see the catastrophe in which they find themselves. I know I've ministered as a chaplain to, to young mothers who <clears throat> have lost their children in miscarriage because they could not keep away from either the, the, uh, the, the alcohol, the whiskey, or uh, their drugs until it was safe for them to do so. And so they're, they've, uh, they've actually aborted their own children by these chemical processes. And uh, 
and uh, many times they 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 have uh, their children if they have children they're they're by different men different quote fathers and uh, yet they 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 almost see nothing of of their catastrophe because the Lord allows them to flow in the in the in the stream of their wickedness and he does not challenge them but in this case at the very time when Ahab goes to take possession of Naboth's vineyard, at that very moment, that's when God's shout, God's word, God's condemnation comes down upon his head. Now we know the early part of that story. Ahab had all the power in northern Israel that he wanted or could have needed, but there was one vineyard that looked especially good to him. God raised the specter of this vineyard in Ahab's mind so that he looked upon it and he said, I've got to have it. Well, we often do this with clothing or with toys. We see something that we want. And we say, oh, I've got to have that, whatever it is. And we obsess about it until we finally find a way to go get it. Well, this was the way uh, this vineyard was. The only problem was the vineyard was owned by a righteous man, uh, of which there were very few in that day, Naboth. And so here was uh, Ahab, and Jezebel put him up to it. Uh, here was this couple. And they, they seized upon one of the only righteous people of that day. Where uh, Naboth would receive his reward when he was executed by this false trial and he went to be with the Lord. Uh, he would receive his uh, wonderful recompense from God. But in this world, God chose not to, uh, to save him immediately, but to let him be caught up in the evil of his day. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they set themselves upon this they, they conjured up false witnesses. It's a, it's, the Bible says it's a terrible thing to either justify the wicked, in other words, say the wicked are not wicked, or to condemn the righteous. That's a terrible thing. We think nothing of this today. Even relatively righteous people in our society think nothing of the righteous people have been condemned. There, there have been a whole string of people who have flouted the rule of Congress and the, the, the rule of, um, the, rule of uh, the subpoena power that Congress had. But now Peter Navarro, one of the righteous men of our day, has been sentenced to four months in prison because, uh, because uh, uh, he would not testify. Now, he was not summoned by the whole Congress like Hunter Biden has been summoned. He was summoned by a renegade committee that threw all the Republicans off the committee except the ones that they knew would go along with them. And yet it was this monkey trial uh, for Peter Navarro that now he's cast into prison, whereas the righteous people, the unrighteous people, are let go. And there's hardly uh, hardly anything uh, that is that they are with which they are charged. And so this is the kind of day it was uh, in this day and. Ahab and Jezebel set their sights not upon the unrighteous because they might deserve such treatment as this, but they set their sights upon one of the only righteous men whom God had blessed, Naboth, with this vineyard. And they, they stole his property through this false trial. The same kind of thing we see going on today. They stole his property and then they had him condemned to death for rebellion against the king. And so Naboth laid down his life, lost his vineyard, and uh, the wicked king that set this whole thing in motion, Ahab, has, has come to the orchard and he's looking around. No doubt, 
this vineyard does not look as good as it did before the land was lie, was perfidy of, of, uh, of wickedness. But uh, here he is, and now it's his. And he's walking around. But God did not give him very much time to enjoy whatever he was going to enjoy as he looked upon the vines, as he looked upon the, the labor, the long and faithful labor of Naboth to tend his vineyard. God did not give him very much time because it says in verse 17, then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. So this was not Elijah's idea. Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, thus says the Lord. Now this story was no doubt, this, no, this story no doubt uh, had uh, some um, popularity to it in terms of its being told throughout the land of what Ahab and Jezebel were doing here. So it probably wasn't very hard for Elijah to find this vineyard. Everybody knew where it was. Everybody had heard of the infamy of what they had chosen to do. And so God says, go confront him in the very place where he has been victorious in this wickedness. And so uh, he was a really evil guy, but he was confronted in the very midst of his evil. <clears throat> Secondly, we see that he was confronted by God's clear condemnation. This was not a negative providence that might be open to misinterpretation by the watching world. You know, very often things happen, they're, they're negative. We have epidemics, and like we had with the COVID virus in 2020, and the righteous, those that have some understanding, say, well, this kind of thing has never happened except that God was showing his displeasure. So this is probably a sign of God's displeasure. But that is somewhat ambiguous. I mean, it's it's our, it's our um, thinking about these things. It's our rational conclusions from taking everything in the situation under consideration. But it's not all that clear in terms of the certainty of why uh, these plagues have come upon us, or the fires in Hawaii, or other um, great storms that we've had where many people have been damaged or killed. But here in this case, it is extremely clear. We have God's clear condemnation. He sends Elijah the prophet and Elijah by word, by using vocabulary, stipulates exactly what the evil is. And he condemns uh, Ahab and Jezebel uh, for this. The third thing here is that, uh, that he's confronted by a most authoritative emissary. This is not just uh, the elders who have met and condemned something that was done. We have that in America here where at least the House of Representatives seems to have some inclination toward righteousness. And so they're condemning the things that are being done and beginning to challenge these things. And uh, those that are involved in them are just shrieking with horror that anybody would dare to challenge their iniquity. But this is not a case of that. Uh, this is a case where there's a most authoritative emissary, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, Elijah. How many times has God raised up a prophet? We've lived for 2,000 years now since the last great prophet appeared, even Jesus Christ. 2,000 years without a prophet. There have only been a, sh a small number of men 
who have arisen, whom God spoke to, who God called to be his servants. Abed Yahweh, the servants of the Lord. They were called to be prophets, that they would prophesy. And he would put his word in their minds and commission them and tell them, this is what I want you to say. You notice here in this passage, uh, in verse 20, uh, Ahab, Elijah, when, when Ahab says to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? Elijah doesn't even respond, he really respond. He says, I have found you because, because uh, you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he says in verse 20, 21, he changes to the first person in Hebrew. And he says, behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your... He's not saying I in the sense of Elijah. He's speaking now in the voice of the Lord. I will take these things away from you. Jehovah God, the God who created the world, the God whose word cannot be controverted, the God whose word cannot be reversed, the God whose word cannot be contaminated with any influence of human speaking or thinking. I will do these things. And so uh, he is confronted by this prophet, and prophets would. The, the, the most unique thing about a prophet. You, people will say today, what's the, what, what, what were the, what were the, what's the essence of a prophet? Well, they say a prophet is a person who forecasts the future. That's not the um, most important aspect of a prophet. They did that, but that was incidental to their more fundamental charge, which was to speak the word of the Lord. They were commissioned by God to bring uh, uh, the covenant of God, to bring the people of God uh, under the condemnation of the covenant that they had signed so that the people of God would be indicted, kind of uh, mentally arrested by the, by the verbal condemnation and indictment of the prophet. So that's exactly what Elijah is doing. He changes and begins to speak in the first person on behalf of the Lord. So all these words that we read after verse 20, 20b, uh, are the word of the Lord. I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of Jehovah. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. He will no longer have... Uh, minions at his disposal because they're following him. God is going to put a, a wedge between Ahab and all the people of Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, two houses that God had cursed uh, and made to come to nothing because of their disobedience. Because, God says, of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, now, all of us are somewhat concerned about the fact that we in our lives have provoked God to anger, but we've never had a prophet come to our house and begin to shout and preach before us. This is the provocation with which you have provoked the Lord. And uh, if, if he did, or if we did, it would be a terrifying day whereby we would, uh, the, we would have holy tremors uh, seizing our systems and bringing us to the place where we hardly knew what to do. And that's what happened to Ahab here. Um, and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, now you see, Elijah spoke, but here the Bible says uh, God spoke. 
uh, the Lord spoke. 21, and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs, so it doesn't, it doesn't just say how Jezebel is going to die. She's going to die but because she's eaten by dogs. But she's going to die outside the wall of Jezreel. God is very specific. He names the city. He said the name names the place of the city outside the wall. And we remember what happened to Jezebel. Uh, she was cast over the wall by people who didn't want the curse of God to fall upon them. And so they threw her over the wall. She fell down and she died there on the ground. Well, perhaps she died by the fall, but whatever, she died certainly as, as the dogs, uh, the wild dogs came and ate her body there. Now, this is a grisly, grisly death. And some people will say, why would God put such an awful thing in the Bible? It was because God hated Jezebel. He hated her wickedness. He hated her uh, polytheism. The, the way she adored the sins of the Amorites, whom God had already cast out of the land in order to make way for the Israelites. And so he brought, in the, in the creation hierarchy, Mankind is created on the very last day, at the, the very last moment of the creation, after everything else has been made. And all the animals, all of the birds of the air, they come first. And so man is higher on the pyramid. And it's a, it's a very awful thing to think that the, the lower animals would be given power over the higher creatures of mankind, even unto death in this case. Ahab meets his end because he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he dresses up. Remember, he dressed up like, uh, uh, like an officer, but not as the king. He had Jeroboam, I mean, he had um, uh, Jehoshaphat from, the, from Judah come and join him in the battle. And he had Jehoshaphat dress up like him. And Jehoshaphat didn't know that at the time. But the Bible says that God put it into the, in, into the minds of the Assyrians who were they were in battle with, God put it into the minds of the Assyrians uh, that the, 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 the person that was dressed as uh, Ahab was not really Ahab. And, uh, and so it says that there was a bowman. There, were, there was a bowman in the army that shot his arrow into the air. Peradventure, the Bible says, that it might hit some adversary. So the Assyrians shot a single arrow in the air. But this arrow had the name written upon it of Ahab. And so the arrow fell through the air. It plummeted through the air in its silent, stealthy journey down. And it, it struck Ahab between the folds of his armor. And the arrow went deep within him. And the arrow killed him. And uh, it says that, that he, he continued on. He had enough strength or balance to, to, help, to hold himself in his chariot for a while longer. The chariot went on with him hunched over, but the but the arrow had done its purpose, achieved its purpose, and uh, Ahab began to bleed, and the blood filled the chariot in which Ahab was from the single arrow, piercing between the joints of the armor, and the blood filled the chariot. And so, when the chariot finally stopped and reached the outer recesses of the battle, there were dogs there. The Bible says the dogs came and licked up the blood of Ahab. Uh, yet it was better for Ahab than Jezebel because Jezebel was actually consumed, was actually chewed and eaten by the dogs that consumed her because of God's horrible hatred 
against these two people. People say they, they doubt what God says about hell. They, they use their human reason to minimize the judgment of God and the falling of his wrath upon mankind in their sins. They, they just won't have it. They say, if I redefine this thing, then it, it's not like God says it is. It's like I say it is. Well, in this case, we get a, a lesson on Bible interpretation of God's what whatever God says is true. Whatever God says, he will do. And so it makes the most sense of anything that is sensible to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and seek our freedom and our redemption in him while we may, while it may be found. Because God's true. God is true. If he was true with Ahab and Jezebel, he's true with us about the judgments of hell and the fires of hell that will burn there. We can do all that we want. It's like the, it says it's like the days of Noah. People did all that they could conceive of to minimize the word of Noah and his preaching. They just pretend that they, it's never rained like this before. It's never, it's never flooded like, like Noah has said that it would. It can't be because of what we say, because of our, our uh, polluted orthodoxy. And, and they persuaded each other so that not, nobody came to the ark except Noah and his children. And probably his children had been dragged in kicking and screaming because dad insisted on their uh, joining him in the ark. But then it began to rain. God's word is true. God's word cannot be minimized. The colors of God's judgment cannot be softened by a pigment like white where it becomes less than it is. And so in this case, uh, they were confronted by a, uh, a most authoritative emissary and they were confronted by unqualified condemnation. In verse 25, God finishes his condemnation by saying, But there was no one like Ahab who had sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was a, a, a very honest and forthright condemnation and it was an unqualified condemnation. God utterly held the, the utter wrath of God over the head of Ahab and told him what he was going to do. Now, the amazing thing here is that, and it shows the kind of, the kind of truth and wisdom that courses through our veins, and it courses through the veins of all the ungodly that, that's, that to whom we witness who we find as our neighbors in our day. People pretend that they do. They know nothing about God. Romans 1 says they know plenty about God. They just repress it. They refuse to believe it. They push it down in their minds, their psyches. And so um, here we see that when God utters this, this weighty condemnation upon Ahab that is crushing, we see that Ahab based on, it must be based upon his past, based upon things that he learned as a boy, way back in his history, his biography, uh, there were certain things that caught his conscience. And he began to worry until he was undone 
by this word of Elijah. And it says that, <clears throat> that um, in verse 27, it says, So it was when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body. This is like burlap, a rough, a very rough weave. It was the clothing of mourning and repentance. And he fasted. He actually fasted and cut himself off from food and lay in the sackcloth and went about mourning. So he, he totally changed his behavior. A moment before, he had been victorious over all righteousness. He had stolen Naboth's vineyard. He had no one before him to challenge him. He was unopposed, except by the word of God. And after God had spoken a moment later, Ahab is laying on the ground in sackcloth and mourning about his own idiocy, his own foolishness, his own wickedness, and, uh, and uh, totally undone. And uh, uh, this should give us great hope if somebody like Ahab can be brought to the state. What can God's spirit do with us? Can he not reverse our persuasions, our callousness to the truth, our insensitivity to what God says is important? Can he not do something with us? And of course he can. The Lord can take somebody who hated the church with all of the hatred of his being, who was utterly, uh, utterly confused about goodness and evil, who even uh, set to persecute the church of Christ, uh, like, like Ahab on the, the vineyard. He laid his eyes on the good people of this world and sought to corrupt them, sought to condemn them by a court, sought to overturn them and their strength by his strength. Somebody like uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Oh, how often have I heard people reinterpret Paul when he writes, I am the, I am the, uh, the least of all brethren. Uh, how often have I heard them say, oh, he really wasn't that bad. <laughs> He's just, he was... He was uh, caught up with human emotion. No, the Apostle Paul was not caught up with human emotion. He understood his own heart. He understood the dedication that he had made to destroy the church of Christ. And now the Lord had changed his heart and redeemed him and uh, brought him to the place where he was born again. And now he saw the specter of his life before him and he could not believe how evil he had been. And so the rest of Paul's life was a life of repentance, singing of Christ, protecting the church of Christ, laying down his life for the church of Christ, anything that he might reverse his earlier life and his earlier iniquity. And so we have something of that in this um, situation with uh, with. Uh, Ahab, it's one of the most surprising and remarkable reversals in the scripture. And it says that God was touched by this so that he didn't turn away the inerrant word of God that flowed through the lips of Elijah. There was still curse to come upon him and Elijah did die by this arrow and the dogs did drink up his blood there in the chariot. Jezebel was eaten by dogs and the birds of the air came and settled upon her but God mitigated his wrath upon him while he was toward the end of his life and did not bring 
all of this curse upon him, but delayed it until it fell upon his children who were incited by his bad example and so went on in that way, continuing to foment evil in the land of Israel. So uh, Ahab was a really, really evil guy. And we should look upon this story as revelatory to us of lessons of good and evil, of our needs, of the fact that when we minimize God's word in any way, that we are involved in a really wicked thing ourselves. Let us humble ourselves, brothers and sisters. Let us humble ourselves. Let us put on sackcloth and ashes. Let us live for God. Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all things might be added to us. Our Father and our God, we pray that the scripture might penetrate to the joints and the marrow of our lives. Though our evil is no doubt not as great as Ahab's in terms of its viciousness or the fulminations of it, we know that it is against the same God, the same goodness, the same virtue, the same holiness. And so, in many ways, our sin is tantamount to Ahab's. We pray, O oh God, that thou wouldst forgive us of our sins. We pray that we would not be allowed to parade about insensitively with disdain for the severity of thy law or the severity of thy judgment. But we pray that thou wouldst come to us, O Christ, O Spirit of Christ, that thou wouldst come to us and convert our hearts to a greater love for thee. Through that only begotten Son, whose love was unsurpassable, but who offered that to us, that we might live in fullness and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, happily in Jesus' name. Amen.